0: G'day guys. Dropping a little appearance I made over at Cosmic Peach Podcast for her monthly breakdown shakedown. That's right. I joined Julia and we broke down the events, the symbolism, the hidden messaging that's all found within the Witcher series. Starting off the blood origins, focusing specifically on that as it sets up the whole tone of the universe and everything you find in it. And then discussing aspects of seasons one and season two. This is a really great one, guys. Um, I actually encourage you to go over to cosmic peaches youtube page uh, and watch the video for it it's really great she's got some great stuff on there that we shared and yeah fantastic episode love what julia does so sit back put your feet up grab a coffee and enjoy this episode
1: okay all right everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of cosmic peach podcast this is the monthly breakdown shakedown and we have returning champ drew Misson from your missing the point podcast with us tonight drew how are you
0: i'm great julia how are you
1: i'm good it's saturday for me sunday for you how's the weather over there
0: uh, 38 degrees yesterday stinking hot and today it's only about 22 and really overcast so i'm, I'm not adapting to the weather changes all that good
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's like 45 here today it was it was like 50 or something yesterday but this is like our warming up season in i uh, getting ready for spring it's- Yeah, because once summer hits, it just hits and it's like 110 degrees every day for like three months. So (laughs) what's the hottest it gets in Australia? I'm just curious.
0: Uh, Into the 40s.
1: Um, Can you do that in like dumb people language?
0: (laughs) (laughs) In American? I can do it in American. Bear with me. So there's like Fahrenheit and Celsius. It'll be Celsius. 22 would be like.
1: Shivering, goosebumps, cold here.
0: Uh, 104 degrees Fahrenheit. But mm. so it can get there's anything above the 40s, so into the 100s for you guys.
1: Yeah, that's it's like 110 in Oklahoma in the summer too, like that kind of hot where I have leather seats in my car. And I have to use a towel, like if I'm wearing shorts, or else it'll melt the (laughs) skin off my leg. You stick
0: to your skin. Yeah. Terrible (laughs) stuff, isn't it? I had no idea. I got that hot in Oklahoma.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyways, that's enough that. We are here (laughs) breaking down some Netflix shows today, in particular Blood Origins, which is part of the Witcher, uh, I guess it would be a saga. Yeah, the Witcher
0: series or universe. Series, series, yeah.
1: And then I have a little bit on the first and second season of The Witcher, and I have some other interesting notes here. But first, let me get your thoughts. What did you think while you were going through Blood Origins?
0: There's a lot going on there that's right in your face. I think we tend to notice it because we're in that type of community here. Who knows what it is? I think it would fly under the radar for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it stuck to the source material really well. For people who don't know, The Witcher is a series that's eight series books and Blood Orange is inspired by like the background story that appears in that of how the world came to be and all the creatures and the witches themselves and everything. It's written by a Polish author um, and his name is Andreas Sapowski. Um, which was later adapted into very popular video games and the popularity of those inspired the Netflix series and then the prequel series, which we're discussing at the moment, Blood Origins.
1: It all began 1,200 years ago in the elven golden era before the arrival of humans and monsters in the world.
0: taking control of the entire continent.
1: Faced with chaos, the people will always choose order. No matter the cost.
0: Seven warriors. Outcasts. Strangers to each other. Bound together to fight an unstoppable empire. This
1: is the future under the empire. We need to rise up. That thing. My beast has done well. I swore I'd kill you if we crossed paths again. How can we trust each other? By the blade. Ah! We have a chance if we do it together. The monoliths are causing tears between worlds. A gateway. The
0: end of our well is upon us.
1: We need to use a beast against him. We merge the creature's tower with one of you.
0: Come on, big lad. We're only
1: just getting started. To the end. To the end. There'll be no coming back.
0: You're a bard. I am a storyteller. I need you to sing a story back to life. Are you sure you've got the right man for this? Um, Essentially, it's like a retelling of Seven Samurai or The Magnificent Seven. You have seven heroes or unlikely heroes that come together to overcome a great evil and try to save the day. Essentially, that's the storyline. But it's set in a fantasy sword and sorcery type of world with elves, dwarves, Mm -hmm. and and the first monsters in this one.
1: Yeah, so like many fairy tale stories, I think that blood origins could be representing different bloodlines of people just like how they use the dragon to represent certain bloodlines or the elves to represent certain bloodlines. And the whole Witcher story is how there was this conjunction of what they call the spheres. So they were all living peacefully in their own spheres and humans were in our sphere and the monsters were in their sphere. But there's an arrival of this monolith of what they call a monolith and it brings all these spheres together and you have kind of like lord of the rings in a way where you're mixing all the different spheres and regions together and they're trying to fight to see who's going to take over everything but the the first race were the elves
0: yeah, it's, um, it's contentious in the book as to whether the dwarves or the elves were the first race. It indicates that the dwarves were because they were from within the earth and the elves only okay. found, found them later by like, digging underground. But it's a, a thing that's repeated in folklore across like multiple cultures where you have the first two beings that are, inhabit a land tend to be either tall people and then a short people. So in the Aboriginal Australians, we've got Quinkins where you've got the tall ones, which are called Tamara, and the small ones, which are called Imjims. The Norse, you have... Um, trolls you have dwarves and germanic cultures and celtic cultures you have elves and you've got pixies or fairies Mm -hmm. it's that um the binary system of tall and large in that spiritual context that there's these beings that aren't human they engage with humanity later on but they tend to be the first beings
1: yeah now the first elf that we meet in blood origin is the warrior guy right with the chopped yep. up ear. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and he's getting freaky with the princess and you at first it's kind of like a tragic love story you're like oh she can't marry him and be with him because he's whatever but then you realize as the story progresses that the princess is sadistic and just power hungry and she wants the merging of the spheres she doesn't realize that's what she's doing but that's what she wants
0: yeah essentially she's beca- ends up being the proto bear guy the whole time where you're thinking that she's not until the very last minute but her name's merwin um and in welsh that means sea friend and ironically their city is by the sea and her name's Merwyn. merwin um, yeah like you said you think it's this like a tragic love story but she does end up being the catalyst that brings evil into the world through her acts and actions. She's heavily invested in reading the mythology and history of her people that goes back thousands of years to what was considered a golden age, air quotes, Mm -hmm. which she's trying to bring about herself.
1: Yes. And the golden age that she speaks of is very Atlantean kind of story. And that was one of the first things that I noticed in, she actually has like a jewelry box or a little thing that she, and it has these like a circle within a circle and it's all bound to each other. And I I just felt there was a lot of Saturnish type of references as far as that goes, because we also see that same thing in The Witcher in the first season.
0: Did you notice? Um, so there's this. Uh, essentially, it's a sex scene that we see between uh-huh. the princess and her bodyguard, Fial. He We see his back tattoos. His back tattoos are of a pyramid mm-hmm. s- surrounded by three circles, which looks very, very cabalistic. Yes. And within the triangle, you actually see the symbol for the dog clan. It's not a dog head or a wolf head or anything like that. It's a pyramid with wheat in the center of it.
1: No. <laughs> it's so stupid. Now it's probably not stupid at all it's probably very strategic why they picked that but here's the thing the cut scenes or you know when they're taking a break to go into the next episode we always see this symbol coming together and they did that with the first season of the witcher the second season of the witcher and in blood origins when you're getting introduced to the new episode. You see this symbol for whatever that episode yeah, is. Yeah, there's, there's Did- a, a
0: symbol for each clan that pops up at the start of it. Yes. Or the bloodlines. Okay. So okay. what do I've you have
1: go- on those?
0: Okay. Well, I've got to go back to what the the dog clan is. So theirs is, is weight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Weight in symbolism, the esoteric, is as follows. A symbol of fertility, bounty, and resurrection. That's held within a pyramid, which we already know what the symbol for that is. That's the main one which pops up as being very Masonic and having those Kabbalistic circles around it. Like if you ever see the um the like the Tree of Kabbalah or the, mm-hmm. the essentially the magic that Kabbalah is, it's got a circle with a different symbol all the way around it, and that's what you kind of see represented in each of these clans. There's only three that are like alive in this whole series, and each of their symbols is the dog clan which is represented by wheat for some reason you have the snake clan which we all know what snakes represent in symbolism especially with the americas and the Mesoamerican indians and then we have the ghost clan um which is almost like they're represented as a people that have disappeared almost like an atlantean type of people that no longer exist and we see one character that's left within this in the elven races
1: and they're all elves, so I want to first get that out because we we meet the dwarfs later on. I think she was the last of the tribe to join them.
0: Yeah, the last of the seven is a dwarf. Yes,
1: was the dwarf. And then they all have unique abilities, but they have, there's archetypes there because the... I keep forgetting his name. The guy, the big guy that has the... beard, Fial. He's the warrior. He's the brute force in the tribe. And the girl with the dreadlocks, she does the little sword throwing thing. She's a bard and she can sing and everything, but she has like badass knife skills. And then... Who was the third person we met? Um,
0: so, so there's the main three. There's Fial, which is our big warrior type, which in Norse means mountain or rough hill, which is a very rough character. Mm-hmm. He's built like a mountain. Um, yeah. We have Sian, which is our, the ghost clan, which um, in European, Celtic, Proto-European language means to cut or knife. And our uncle, she's the person with this mythical sword. And Ial, which is the Raven clan member, um, the bard you spoke of. Mm-hmm. She's a mythological Irish queen, which is known to be the practical one. And we see a lot of her choices being very practical uh, in this season.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Yep. And then we have the... Uh, we, have,
0: we have Maldorf. Maldorf yeah. the dwarf. Um, we have Sindril, which is the mage, and Zakar, which is the female mage, and then Brother Death, which is another elf that's coupled up with the female mage in this, the guy with the two cleaver, Mm -hmm.
1: butchers Mm -hmm. knives. And you almost thought he was going to be a bad guy just for a second, and then you realized... Yeah, we thought he he was was... a
0: bounty hunter.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. The mages are interesting because they're what... twins. Mm -hmm. And they speak a lot about that in Blood Origins.
0: Yes, even to the point where a sacrificial event to gain power needs to be two twins that are born under from different houses that are born under a celestial event which is two asteroids flying in the sky that the two children who are born in that time that are twins mm-hmm. themselves to different families have to be sacrificed to gain this power and this is from our what we assume is the big bad guy of the series which is balor which is the mage for this main city um, in irish he's known as the deadly one and in irish mythology balor is a one-eyed monster which later on, his monster that he creates ends up having one eye.
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm.
0: So what's happened is there's these three Elven kingdoms in this world, and they've been at war for a thousand years now. And the main food source they have is wheat, and the wheat shortages are starting to devastate them. So they're constantly at war for provisions and resources. So Merwin's brother, which is the current king, he tries to bring about a peace treaty. He tries to marry his sister off to one of the kings, tries to get a queen from another kingdom to come and sign a treaty so they can work together collectively. Sounds really good and fantastic, but it puts all of them at one place together in which his sister, Baylor, and the generals of all the armies in the world wipe out the leaderships because they want a new empire. And this is when we see Baylor use his demonic flying creature for the first time to wipe out all the leaderships
1: hmm but he's getting this from a book that's supposedly forbidden magic and we learn a little bit more about the forbidden magic in the witcher season one because they bring it up And the way that they bring it up is um in the witcher they say you're not supposed to be using forbidden magic and they explain it as demonology i have it in my notes somewhere Uh, necromancy and Mm -hmm. fire magic. That's the forbidden magic. So he's basically reading up on this and wanting to tap into the chaos magic, the dark forbidden magic. And he's willing to do whatever it takes, including sacrificing twins. Um, He does something. Oh, his most beloved assistant is she an assistant like an
0: adopted type of a daughter type of a deal yeah Um, what we find is the first he taps into this this obelisk this obsidian rock (laughs) as it is to go into different realms or worlds and the first world that he encounters happens to have an ethereal orb being that communicates to him and Offers him everything he wants. He wanted power. He was a lowborn peasant who became a mage, but he would never be accepted by the higher class and nobles. So he has a hatred for them to begin with. And he goes to this entity asking for power. And that the only way he can get it is through chaos magic. And to do that, you need ultimate sacrifice.
1: Mm -hmm. The way that he manipulates everyone around him is really interesting too. Because... He has Merwin murder her own brother. And we see straight out of the gate that these people are on a power trip. And they think that they're working towards the same goal. But they're actually all wanting something different. So Merwin, she's the proverbial spoiled princess brat that thinks that if she gets people on her side she can have them do whatever she wants and she'll be the queen and she'll get to wear the robes and the crown and be all glorified and that's really all she wants is for people to know her name she wants to have this legacy where she brings this golden age to all these other realms but Baylor's like fuck you bitch i'm just using you for what i need you for until i can tap into this chaos magic and i'm going to take over all the realms but the funny thing is neither one of them do because they don't understand what they're tapping into they discover this black obelisk type of black obsidian monolith thing and they are how would you say they they're using the forbidden magic book to like draw little symbols and stuff on it and it opens up into a portal where yeah, they're it activate, able to cross it, it, over.
0: Yeah, it activates it like a like a Stargate type of a mm-hmm. deal. It opens up this interdimensional gateway where they can access the other spheres which are represented by planets. And like you said, each of these planets have their own races living on it at this time. And he just happens to sort of tap into a realm that's inhabited by what you think has got to be a dark entity that's pure energy and it's offering all the things he wants in that very dark tone that he has to sacrifice the things he holds most dearest. He even says true sacrifice comes from within. And mm-hmm. that's what he says before he slits the throat of his of his um, yeah. adopted little sage. It's really interesting when you look at the main city where it all takes place and it's even Babylonian style in architecture. It looks very stepped pyramid, like a ziggurat you would say out of Babylon and and the type of sacrificial things they did on those.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um Even the general at one point who's the co-conspirator who really just wants to have endless war because what else is a soldier going to do? He's talking to Baylor about what they've brought about and how they tricked the people. And he says, faced with chaos, the people will always choose order no matter the cost, no matter how blatant the farce is.
1: And this guy, it's so cryptic at the end. Because and we won't let me not get into what happens at the end but this guy <laughs> plays a very important part in upcoming seasons this he
0: does yes
1: yes the general guy
0: because what we find out about these portals and these gateways is they don't only traverse realms they traverse time and space as well
1: yeah yeah and There happens to be this flying monster that Baylor pretty much unleashes on everyone, and that's where the seven come in because they're going to defeat the monster and they're going to stop them from going into these other uh times and spaces, realms, dimensions. And in order to do that, they gang up with each other. Now, what's interesting is when they when the dwarf gangs up with them and she's like, I'll fight with you guys, I'll her girlfriend or wife there's this very explicit like rape type of story that goes along with her and her wife was raped and murdered by these elves and so she hates elves and she has this huge hammer and she just goes around bashing in the heads of the elves that did this to her wife and the hammer's name is gwen which is her wife's name
0: and even some, there's even dark magic in that. Like dwarfs like in folklore and historically have always been great metallurgists and um, blacksmiths. So mm-hmm. naturally, she builds her own hammer. But she puts the ashes of her dead girlfriend into the hammer. Mm-hmm. That seems very occultic in itself. I know. Like it's trapped her spirit in there, and she says so she talks to her when she's using she it. She
1: does. Like has she, she trapped her soul it. in there? You don't know. Yeah, because she'll be like, "What's that, Gwen?" You want me to smash this motherfucker's head in? <laughs> you got it. It's like bang, bang, bang. So she joins the gang and uh, they pretty much are the few against the many. And Yeah, they, they're-, they're
0: trying to face off against this new golden empire. Um And did you notice what the golden empire symbol was? What their two symbols are and their coloring?
1: Lay it so on the, me.
0: So the golden empire symbol is actually an historical symbol, but they add it to the monster. The monster has these three tentacles on its head and it shoots like beams out of it and turns people into bloody mist. That's actually the Trixical or the Trixcallion, which is a symbol that's consistent of three interlocking spirals that's used in the oldest Celtic folklore there is. It's best known to represent these three worlds, celestial, physical and spiritual. Ooh. So it's almost like a an occultic version or a nod at the Holy Trinity. At the same time, underneath this symbol, you have the rising sun coming out underneath, like a golden dawn or the light bringer. And then the colors of those are gold and blue, which are Masonic colors. And what we see happening in Ukraine at the moment, gold and blue.
1: Wow. I thought that the jewelry box was probably something significant because they kept bringing it up you're saying it's the sun rising with the the rings going around it and the the rings kind of represent the spiritual celestial and physical worlds they also make mention to that in the Witcher in the first season and um yeah the witcher is super dark but this sets us up for what happens in the witcher and the twin mages, these elven mages, they decide that the only way that they're going to overcome the power of this dark realm and the chaos magic in this beast is to take the beast's heart and like pull something out of it and put it into the warrior guy. Well, actually, he volunteers as tribute, but it's into one of them to make them a witcher. So now we're getting into like the alchemy of everything.
0: Yeah, so they try to travel through one of these obelisks to the main city to attack the the queen and the sorcerer and try to win the day, right? They end up getting thrown into a realm that they're not familiar with. It's got two moons, which is really ironic because in a lot of the early indigenous folklore around the world, there were two moons at one point. Anyway this monster like a, a giant centipede lobster creature jumps out of the water to attack them, they jump through the portal and cut it in half killing it. They think the only way they can beat the monster that Baylor has summoned is to fight fire with fire and to take the essence of that creature and imbue it into an elf. So they can try to combine the essence of this monster but through its heart which is often a sign of that's where you get courage from when you kill an enemy they're pulling that essence out and putting it into an elf to create a, a monster of their own, which ironically is the prototype for what a witcher is. Witches mm-hmm. aren't born, they don't have magical abilities just naturally. they're made. Essentially in the books they're referred to as mutants.
1: Right. <laughs> a mutant. <laughs> now the the bard, I forget what her name is, the bard.
0: Uh, yep. So the bard is um Eiley, if I'm pronouncing that right.
1: Eiley, she's the one who volunteers initially to get the essence and take it and become a witcher, but she falls asleep. And the big burly dude's like, I'll do it. And the whole scene where they're transferring it into him is very wild. And it's every bit of... And I love graphics, you know? (laughs) I love it to look really real. And all the veins are popping out of his skull. And his eyes turn black. And it's a beautiful Witcher moment. And you see that... In order to defeat the greater evil, he has to become evil. And I watched an interview with the director. And they were saying they want to blur the lines between what's considered good and evil and what's in the gray area. And they almost alluded to there is no good and there is no evil. Everything's just evil in some kind of a way. And I'm the exact opposite. I think that there is good and there is evil. And when you watch Origins, even going into Witcher Season 1 and Witcher Season 2, you see that they do portray the lesser evil as good, and then the evil evil is just all fucked up. But the idea that you have to become a little bit evil to triumph over the greater evil is interesting to me.
0: Yeah, it's. um, I've heard the argument a lot from people who are very air quotes, spiritual, and they think that the Kabbalah can actually be used for good and the only way to overcome darkness is to to know their teachings and to use it in a good way. They say that's like a technology. Technology isn't inherently good or evil. It's how you use it. And I like a lot like you, I disagree in a lot of that in some ways because if you've made like the two spheres and you put them together like a Venn diagram and you've got the grey in the middle, the grey in the middle is supposed to be very small. Mm-hmm. There's evil, there's bad, and there's neutral. Well, The Witcher does it really well in making nearly everything grey. So much yeah. that the witches are created. They deliberately go out, select boys at a very young age and mutate them into these overpowered creatures that could snap and kill anyone at a drop of a hat. They have mm-hmm. to control the evil that's inside them. And we see that in what is happening in even in the Blood Origins with the whole alchemy part where the mages are trying to turn him into this beast for the first time, the goo they're giving him is black. Yes. And he sees veins go black. He can see the evil taking over him. And it actually reminded me a lot of Prometheus with the black goo in that.
1: Yes. I was actually going to bring that up, asshole. Thank you. It's very Prometheus like the black goo and It's not that I didn't really enjoy all three of the shows. But you see where, of course, Netflix. They couldn't just be the tribe of the seven that overcomes the beast and they win. No, they have to become, through alchemy, a form of evil themselves. To overpower the greater evil. But why does it have to be like that? You know, this person who volunteered for the alchemical transmutation was an adult male. It then goes on to where they take like six and seven-year-old boys and inject them to mutate them. Most of them die. And they never have
0: any females.
1: Yeah. They they
0: tried a couple of times in the series with, with females, but they would always die. So they moved to just boys.
1: And just the thought of... If you have ten boys, only five make it out. But you have to have witchers, so you're just going to keep killing hordes of young boys <laughs> until you're Yeah, find- it's, take,
0: it's taking the idea of sacrifice going the wrong way. They think that to sacrifice one boy's life to becoming a witcher is preventing the greater evil. Well, perhaps the greater sacrifice is actually dying fighting a monster as a as a normal human being or alpha, whatever they are, just dying protecting people. Would that not be the more noble sacrifice?
1: well and think about it like this all the time and energy they spent into making the formula this black goo to give to these boys they couldn't come up with a way to separate the spheres again or Mm -hmm. destroy the monolith like well
0: especially the the spheres are supposedly built by the dwarves and like there are shattered broken people in the series but no one really delves into the dwarven arts and tries to repair what was done no you've got you've got all these races which are thrust upon this world and they end up fighting out for dominance over this continent but at no point do they ever try to get back to their own realms
1: never never they just try to dominate each other which is really interesting to me but let's go back to the storyline so Big Root Guy gets the mutinogen. I'm terrible with names, <laughs> by the way. I have all the names. <laughs> okay. So I stayed up till like 3 a.m. doing my notes. I did all the notes for the first two seasons of The Witcher and then like all the beasts and everything. And then I watched Blood Origins again and I was like, oh, I remember everything. Here I am. Just watched it seven hours ago. Can't remember if one name from the <laughs> see, show.
0: I'm I'm the opposite. I break down the names too much and spend way too much time well, on, the good. Names, so, on the names.
1: <laughs> so so Fidal is our great. big guy. <laughs> Fidal. He volunteers, gets the stuff. He turns into a witcher, but it's not like the witchers we see later on. He's the first witcher, has no control over himself whatsoever. And just like I said earlier with becoming a little bit evil to destroy the greater evil he friendly fires you know he'll he'll just rip anybody's head off um, but they set him a loose in the capital city and he does destroy the monster but i mean do you want to talk about the ending a little bit do you did you find anything weird about it
0: um the the conjoining of the spheres is pretty iconic in it because it sets up the whole universe of like that Tolkienesque style of all these races living together and not knowing each other and just being cast into that world and having to to live a- alongside one another in a lot of ways it's it's almost like I'm trying to make connections with with biblical scripture that it's almost like an inverted version of the Tower of Babel. Like to, It's like the Golden Empires, the United People, have all got the same language. They're just there, and all of a sudden they're cast out and they're scattered and they've got different languages. Well, the conjoining of the spheres is almost like that, except it's people being brought into the world instead of casting out in the world that's already there.
1: See, I knew you were going to come to that same conclusion because here's what I got for you. <laughs> That's exactly what it's showing. Okay. In my opinion, that's exactly what it's showing, especially with the obelisk or the monolith, as they call it, looking like a tower. Yes. And it's an exact inverted story of the Tower of Babel. And it's actually kind of close, where in the Tower of Babel story, they're split up and he gives everyone different languages and then they go off and start their own civilizations with people who are of their same language or understanding. And what we see in the Witcher is after the converging of the spheres, they all kind of speak the same language, but then they just start warring amongst each other to take over each other. And I had on, are you familiar with Gary Wayne?
0: Uh, yes, I to, before, yeah.
1: yeah. So he has a, done a lot of work on, um, the genesis 6 conspiracy which is the fallen angels and uh-huh. he's actually broke down the tower of babel story back to its like origin language which would have been you'd have to ask him because i'm no like literary genius but he said the tower of babel would have actually been portal. Like, they weren't building a tower to God. Yes.
0: Uh, they were the, building
1: a portal. <laughs>
0: this is the theory I've got. My theory is that the, the Fallen Ones, you know, we're talking biblical stuff, we're going kind of away from what our show is, but my theory is that the Tower of Babel was a Stargate used to send foot soldiers in the in the war with the heavens. So the yeah. Fallen Ones are trying to get soldiers back in the fight. And you actually see this in, in Blood Origins. The yes! first thing they do is they send out a scouting party of soldiers to go out and attack a new world. Well, this is just the fallen angels sending their half-bred sons as warriors into mm-hmm. the next realm. And I think that, that you're right. This is It's definitely shown through these obelisks and using them as gateways to go to new realms.
1: And if we think back to one of the first things that we talked about, how they represent bloodlines with the species, like humans are this and dragons are that, dwarves, elves. So it's the bloodlines, the predominant bloodlines coming together through a portal and they send in the foot soldiers and they're like, oh, go, go you know find them and we'll stay here while you get trapped <laughs> in another dimension but this to me is like the tower of babel's story it's just pre- presented in a fantastical way
0: yeah and even the idea of the word elf is germanic for white being or glowing being mm-hmm. so if you've got elves as the first race in this world essentially they're the angels because they yeah. predate the humans and the mm-hmm. war and the battle they're trying to fight against what you assume might be a, a greater god a good god a benevolent god by going into these other realms and aligning themselves with entities which have ill intent that's almost like the deal with satan
1: yes yes and you have to become a half breed you know with the witches. in order sauce. to be able to
0: fight yeah.
1: In order to be able to fight it's, him, it's, yeah. It's
0: almost like they're selling the message to us that there's the only way you can fight back against evil in this world is just to take on the lesser parts of evil.
1: Yeah, And there's, yeah. there's no
0: other option. You, there's no light. There's just grey. And grey mm-hmm. is the best you can hope for.
1: Yeah. And with the transitioning from Blood Origins into the first season of The Witcher we kind of let's let's talk about just like how they present witchers they're all like real good looking guys and they all have this appeal about them to where you'd be like i'd be a witcher you know or they look you know they look pretty good <laughs> and they're kind of sexualizing the idea of becoming a little bit evil and so they're very
0: Aryan-esque in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. Higher white skins, hair. White mm-hmm.
0: hair.
1: And they call him the Great White Wolf. Geralt is the Great White Wolf. But we wouldn't have Geralt if Blood Origins didn't happen. And I think that the elves play a very significant part in all of this because you can only make Witcher sauce with elder blood. And I think all of the chaos magic spells are in the Elder language as well.
0: Yes, it's the eldric, and it's almost like the gods of the elves or the ones that created the elves. They're yeah. the power behind it. Whether they're good or whether they're evil, they're the power behind it. And like you said, the blood is required, so it's that blood magic. It's And it's really represented in the way that humans are portrayed once they come into that world. The humans are seen as a... They're a stand-in for what the Holy Roman Empire would be. They're actively at war with the elves. They're trying to kill all the monsters, all the things that aren't human, and they're portrayed in this Holy Roman Empire slash Spanish Inquisitions type of a style. So much that the first scene we see of Blood Origins is set in the current timeline, air quotes, where the Temerians are attacking an elf camp. Mm -hmm. And they look exactly like Spanish conquistadors, the helmets, everything. And there's this huge big battle going on. The first thing we see is fire and blood. Yeah, It's almost representative of what a a hellscape would be. And that allows this horrible tragedy of death and violence, that allows this entity to come forth, stop time, and and talk to the bard. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: (laughs) (laughs) this entity, which I've got to go through the name because it's really relevant. Uh, Where are we? So this entity comes into the world... It stops everything. Jaskier says to, to this entity, "What are you?" And it says, "I am many things, many faces, and many places." Then why do you look like me? Because you love yourself, and I have I have other faces. Would you prefer another? So this is almost like talking to Satan. Like Satan goes by many names and and has have has been known by many things in time.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up about Yaskier because. You think that the cutscene doesn't mean anything to the story because at the beginning you're like, oh, this this fucking asshole again. <laughs> and then he's just a bard. Who cares about him? Well, this demon approaches him and wants him to write a song about what takes place in Blood Origins. And exactly. it's exactly like you said, oh, well, this isn't, you know, my true face. I'm just presenting myself to you in the most appealing way, which is you because you love you. So a selfish prick. <laughs> yeah. But the demon is asking Yaskier to perform this song about blood origins. So many people will remember it and many people will know about it.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's almost, it's like, it gives it power and, it's this theory that I've had that if you don't have knowledge of something, it has less power. And when you know of it and you give it attention, it gains power. So the elves have lost this story for thousands of years now after being at war with the humans. Their knowledge is lost. This creature, which is called a, a Shonshai, which is a shape-shifting, manipulative being that can stop time, create matter, take on appearances. Mm-hmm. It's from the ancient Irish lore called Bearer of Old Knowledge. It's often associated with people who contain the traditional custodians of the centuries of ancient Ireland.
1: Oh, so even the fuck. name means bearer of knowledge. Oh, so my So this, this being
0: is trying to bring back its own power by getting the world to know about it again. And the only way it was able to get back into the world was by the blood of elves being spilt. So it's that blood magic again.
1: Oh, wow. See, and I didn't even... I did all of the beasts from the first and second season of The Witcher because I thought they were interesting and I thought you would think that they were interesting and I think that they play a big part in the story of good versus evil or evil versus evil that they're trying to portray in The Witcher because like I said they're taking like truthful things and they're making them fantastical for the sake of the show just like the tower of Babel and the monoliths and
0: and even darker what they than what they are in traditional folklore like there's a lot of playing the video games you see a lot more of the monsters in in that universe a lot of them have to do with orphans or children being murdered and turned into yes! things um aborted babies are monsters in it like it's a lot very dark it's not your traditional oh he's a skinwalker or a a windigo someone who eats someone from the tribe that's pretty dark but they incorporate a lot of loss around children and and, and young people
1: so the beast that we see in blood origins that they take the heart out of did we find out what they called that one or if it even had a name because i couldn't find anything
0: i can't recall i can't recall the name of it it's like i don't think they
1: had names for them yet
0: no i think it's like a lobstrosity
1: or something like that (laughs) a lobster thing (laughs) it was it did look like a lobster thing and they did make up some i just want to before i go into this i just want to say some of the beasts they did just make up for the sake of the show yeah. but some of them um actually like 8 or 9 of them are real and i just wanted to get your thoughts on a few of them that we find throughout this witcher universe and the first one that we come across in season 1 episode 1 of the witcher is the kikimora and yes it's uh, based off japanese folklore Yeah, and so it also shows up in Slavic folklore as well. And these are always female. And just like what you were saying, they rise from a stillborn child or women who have died during labor. And they Mm -hmm. bear the deceased's face. I think it would have been more creepy if they did that in The Witcher (laughs) than what they did. (laughs)
0: They made well, it's, it look
1: like a big tarantula thing, but that's really fucking creepy. Uh,
0: that's the thing with all these monsters that come into this world, a lot of them are based on the death of something or it being a child. the power for something. Yes, and it's almost like a sleeve. Something is putting it on and using its body to be inhabit the physical realm. Conduits. Which is- Conduits, yes. And the idea that the elves created these monsters is almost like a retelling of how the Nephilim were made. Like Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the elves, none of these monsters would exist in the world because it's their blood that's brought them to there.
1: And who fucked up the history books? Humans did. They Mm -hmm. came in and they took out everything about elven uh, history and elven Which is
0: literally what the the Holy Roman Empire and the Catholics did. The Catholics thought the only way to defeat evil was to go into these lands held by the Druids, by the Norse, Wipe out their history so that these demonic entities, these creatures could never harm you again because their knowledge is no longer in the world of man, so they can't exist. You're giving it less power. So in a lot of ways, the Catholics thought they were doing the right thing. But Mm -hmm. knowledge is power, and unless you don't know how to defeat something, you won't be able to.
1: Shit. But I do think there's like a little bit of a demonic undertone to all of these beasts because... Even like with this Kikimora that takes the face of the dead person, it's most often depicted as a demonic household spirit that slips through keyholes and squats on the chests of sleepers and suffocates them. So this is... Yes! (laughs) Yeah! And that's the first one that we meet. Now, we have... The fallen angels represented but we also have the hybrid people represented and they they show so many fucking hybrid uh, chimera type beings in the witcher universe like they have a goat's head or a boar's head or they have like some type of animalistic features about them and one of them is the sylvan and this caught my eye because As we've discussed before, every mythological tradition on the flat plane has some variation of human-animal hybrids walking amongst us. Now, the sylvan is, it looks kind of like a fawn, but it has human characteristics about its face, but it still has horns and hooves. and
0: It's almost like a, a pan. It's like the right. Roman or Greek version of Pan, which is ironically what a lot of symbolism around Satan is based off.
1: It's funny you say that. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> I said it's probably based on the story of fallen angel, God King Poseidon taking revenge on King. Um, I think it's Minos by cursing Minos, his yeah. wife. Yeah. Um, and he basically cursed his wife to have the fornications with a bull and the child would look something like what the sylvans are. And it's funny because the first joke that Geralt, he like punches it in the face and he's like, would your mom pluck a goat? (laughs) And it's like (laughs) going straight back to the story, you know? Yep. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? The, the human animal chimeras that we see walking about
0: I think that's a really, it's really tipping the hat to what we see in pre flood, the pre Adamite peoples, where the human genome, the purity of man was so tainted and so manipulated that all these creatures existed that the slate had to be wiped clean. Mm-hmm. And they're representing that with a lot of these monsters. Even the idea of the half elves in this, half elves yeah. shouldn't exist because elves and humans shouldn't be copulating. Even the half elf blood is has its own speciality around it because it's mixing their blood with human blood and it allows blood magic from human sources to be used to like a lesser extent. So it's almost Mm -hmm. like setting up the Nephilim.
1: Yeah. And going back to um, the princess... Merwin. Merwin. Sounds like Merlin. Let's just... It is.
0: It's a female version of of Merlin. Right. Okay, so... (laughs)
1: She's obsessed with what I would consider to be like the antediluvian civilizations like Atlantis and the golden Golden age. And the reason they call it the golden age is because of the story that you and I are presenting that they are showing us in a fantastical way what it would have looked like maybe Babylonian times So they're trying to get back to that Atlantean civilization. They're trying to go back to the Poseidon and the Zeus and all of that. They want that. But they want to be the next generation of the gods. They want to actually be worshipped. Merwin is super power hungry like that. And it's interesting because she at one point has like a geisha type of makeup on.
0: Yes. And her crown is a rising sun also.
1: For right. The <laughs> yeah. So I just, you know, it's, it's all fucked up. Where her um, brother's
0: crown was a, a very Greek inspired one. So it's definitely like his kingdom was the surviving elements of Atlantis. So mm-hmm. much of the city was on the ocean front. They had a giant um, statue of a Poseidon-esque type of deity on the waterfront.
1: Even the way that it was laid out kind of looked like. Have you ever seen the depictions of Plato's Atlantis?
0: Yeah, it's like um, concentric circles or like layers within layers. Yes, yeah, the city was set out like that. Like the highborn in the middle at the highest point, and then it goes layers, it step down as it yes. went out to the lowborn peasants.
1: Even the architecture <laughs> in this show is pointing back to something pretty specific.
0: Yeah, and even the, like the monsters you mentioned, they a lot of them are made up to a point. But they are drawing on elements of creatures from traditional folklore and it heavily implies that like a lot of these half-bred creatures, these humanesque hybrids are like hearkening back to the gods of Egypt or Mesoamerica where you've got these beings that taught man how to do things, but they weren't entirely human.
1: Yep, it's almost right. like in
0: my mind that they are they surviving elements of the flood that mm-hmm. got away and tried to create their own empires
1: now did you notice how they always make humans out to be like the fucking bastard assholes that just ruined everything now what would humans represent in this the humans would represent of course like god's perfect design and god's perfect creation and they make humans especially the ones that take over Sintra. Yes, they're the like Temurians. the fucking assholes. Like, what yes. humans came in and ruined everything. This
0: is what they tried to do, I think, through this. And there's been, through the Catholic Church, unfortunately, I think there's been a way to demonize Christianity in general. And they repeat that in this. All the humans are portrayed as this Holy Roman Empire type of human superiority thing. Played it, They're painted as the bad guys in this in general. But... What they're trying to do is survive in a world full of evil now. They've come from a, a realm that didn't have any of that and they're trying to survive. And their way of doing that was wiping out the knowledge, killing off the creatures and mm-hmm. trying to survive. And that's like really what a lot of the Catholic Church did. So it really does put them in that that light of being the bad guys and the scumbags.
1: And think about how they treat the witchers. They hate the witchers. They think that they're, they're an evil. abomination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they hate evil and you're like damn why do they give the witchers such a hard time they're out here like killing the monsters and they're because it's first off how you make a witcher is fucked up they have to do alchemy stuff and drink herbs and black goo all the time just to have those supernatural abilities and when a witcher comes to your town you're like oh fuck you guy (laughs) you know and you're like why are they so mean to the witchers and they want you to be sympathetic, not towards the humans.
0: To the evil side.
1: To the evil to the side. Yes, yeah. it's
0: it's inverting everything. How's this for a connection? The witches, like we said, have those Aryan attributes. They're like perfect specimens. They've got yeah. all this power. The blonde and white hair. The eye color is amber. Humans, the Temerians are shown as like this Spanish-esque type of Roman Empire. The Spanish Inquisition actively tried to wipe out bloodlines in history. Shit. One of the bloodlines they targeted was RH negative, which were a people of the Basque region in Spain, or between Spain and France, who supposedly had a violet eye colour, which made them easy to recognise. <gasps> so if the witches had violet eye colour, I'd say it's exactly what it is, but I think it's hinting at it
1: but because they don't Yennefer trust the witches. Has vi- Yennefer has the purple mm-hmm. eyes yep and she's like the worst one out of all of them and she had so okay before i get ahead of myself let me go over (laughs) a few more monsters and get your opinions and then i have to drop this universe stuff on you because she's a whole nother fucking story now there is the striga which is a vampire prototype yeah yeah and um you know this is proliferated across southern and eastern europe you know and it's said that when a pregnant woman was cursed the baby would become <laughs> a striga after it died and so what the fuck with the babies
0: it's because there's and... an innocence there that's what it's about they're, they're untainted by the world they're, they've got no skin in the game they're, they're just what they are and to be a defenseless poor little baby and then I wouldn't want to you. be a
1: baby in the Witcher universe. Oh,
0: God, no. You'd want to be highborn <laughs> in a castle somewhere protected by all those horrible yeah. humans.
1: I'm not going to say. I, I'd probably want, if I had to choose and I had to survive, I'd be a mage. But I'd just be a <laughs> mage that, like, healed people that got fucked up in, like, yeah. horrible <laughs> battles, you know. Um, then we have something called the Selkie or the Selkie and that goes back to Scottish, Irish, and As- Icelandic folklore. And they speak of the Selkie, which was basically a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And it's a marine legend that tells of people who are half fish and half human. They live in the water, but they can shed their skin and take on a human form. And much like the story from The Little Mermaid, they are very attracted to human men and come to shore to seek the fornications and reproduce with them. So, I mean, that's straight up like The Little Mermaid, you know? Yep. Shapeshifters again, though.
0: Exactly, and it's always walking amongst us that we can't see what's there. Mm -hmm. They always have the ability to reveal themselves in ways that would be appealing. If they were to show us their true form, I think we would do what the... What the humans, the Tamarians would do is wipe them all out.
1: Yeah, that you'd be like, I'm not into fish, but thank nah. you. you. know,
0: I got, I got a goldfish, and that's about as far as it'll go, but No like,
1: way. Ah, she smells like fish down there.
0: <laughs> Literally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you want that? <laughs> but yeah, all right. The next one that I found really interesting was the what they call the Doppler. But it's of course it's just a doppelganger, yeah. Now this is what I found: going back to ancient Egyptians and their belief in the ka. The it, it's basically the exact mirror of another person, including thoughts and memories, to the point much like in the movie *Us*. Did you watch mm-hmm. that movie? Yeah, with the
0: people that live underground. That are- yeah, yes. yeah.
1: So they could kill you and replace you. Is That's how close they are. They have all your memories, all your thoughts, everything you ever thought about thinking it's all in this ka or doppelganger. And uh, there's also other cultures who speak of the trow who would replace healthy human babies with identical trow demon replicas. And fun fact, right before uh, his assassination, President Abraham Lincoln claim to have encountered his doppelganger and they of course are usually an evil omen so wtf and of course we had the doppler in the witcher universe
0: yeah yeah, and they often manipulate things from behind the scenes and kill people off and are doing a whole lot of scrupulous things
1: now let's get biblical for a second the doppler refers to itself as an us and a we Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and not as an I yeah so and
0: even to the fact that you've got the lines of Cain and Abel and they repeat the same names Mm -hmm. so that it blurs the line in between a lot of ancient scriptures to what bloodline does this person belong to because they have the same name which one are (laughs) we referring to
1: which one are we talking about? Yeah. But you know what else that I found that was kind of interesting is the mention um in the Witcherverse to the Jinn. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard of the Jinn?
0: The Jinn, yes. The Jinn are the Middle Eastern uh deities or spiritual creatures which the genie is based on in Western culture.
1: Yes. Now often djinn- made of fire which is freaky as fuck too because and now let me tell you what i have a like a personal experience with the djinn and um i wanted to lay this on the line for you (laughs) when they brought up the djinn in the first season of the witcher i got straight up chills because i dated someone for a while from saudi arabia and um they were very conscious of the djinn they would be like they're everywhere they can do this they they associate them as being like the classic demonic spirits or they just want to get in your body or they just want to do things like a trickster spirit would and you know everything i would do this person would be like if you do that you're welcoming in a djinn and i'd be like what the fuck is a djinn <laughs> you know Any little thing, you know, they have these superstitious practices around if you leave milk out overnight and you drink it in the morning, you'll get a gin. No, (laughs) they have all these little things that, you know, be careful because you'll get a gin. Um, They would even go as far as like you can't compliment newborn babies. If you give a newborn baby a compliment, like, oh my God, their eyes are really big and beautiful the next day the baby would go blind or something like that because of the jinn spirit this demonic so you had to say mashallah after every time you give somebody a compliment or you eat or do these certain things so a jinn wouldn't get you and by the time I got done with that relationship I was like we need a part ways <laughs> Um, this is for me. Like this is very, this is very strict, and I kind of like to uh, just do whatever I want all day and not have to be worried about getting attacked by a demonic spirit. But it's very serious to them.
0: Yeah, in Islamic culture, the jinn actually predate the angels.
1: Isn't and that it wild? That, it
0: said that uh, the jinn walked on the wings of angels be- um, in the before times.
1: Think and about the that, whole,
0: and that's and the original idea of when a djinn is trapped, and it's usually trapped in a gem or some kind of a precious stone. When they're trapped in something, when you summon them out and you ask for your wish, they always have there's a cost to it. So if you wish to be wealthy, one of your family members would die, and they'd leave you their inheritance. Yeah. If you wanted, um, you wanted to be beautiful for all time you might get turned into a statue that never, wow, <laughs> never changes yeah,
1: so it's like a trick there's a cost
0: yeah the trickster side comes to it with that
1: now if you think about it they do kind of make it like a genie in the Witcherverse. you get three wishes but you know they're not exactly what they are supposed to be for me i just felt disney has done a bang up job of including all of these demons in their movies. You know, I just mentioned uh, the Little, Little Mermaid Man, a second ago, and now we have what Aladdin, which is a Middle yeah. Eastern type of uh, portrayal of M- Morocco or something like that. But we have yep, the gent- Mm-hmm. So they're taking just like the Witcherverse, they're taking these true things. And making them fantastical so kids will watch it. And, you know, we become obsessed with these characters. And, oh my God, Gerald is so sexy. And, like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, these are, they're, they're showing you demons, people. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's this all, is... that's
0: not a bad demon. That's a fun demon. It's a fun demon. Yeah.
1: Fun. He's blue and he's got Robin yes, he, Williams voice. Yes. <laughs> he's great. That's Will <laughs> Smith. Come on. It's Fresh Prince. Yeah. Now, one of the funny ones, I just wanted to see what you thought was the Harika. It was like a cute little cuddly thing, but that stood up out of the bushes. And there was a prince guy who like stabbed it and sliced it all up. And then he ate it and he freaking had a bloody diarrhea death from like <laughs> eating this thing. <laughs> and he, I think he ate its gallbladder or something. Yeah. He, he roasted it on a spick. And yeah he, it wasn't like, even
0: attacking them it just stood up and he thought he was being cool by killing it and then ate it yeah, he be and a he went warrior. straight for
1: the gallbladder and was like <laughs> yummy yummy and then he had like a violent diarrhea death so if you ever encounter a harrika, Her- people just don't eat its gallbladder that's all i have to say about that and um so did you find anything out about the dragons or anything that they keep showing
0: so it, the dragon stuff is pretty reminiscent of what we see in other folklores and other cultures in, in general throughout history. Dragons generally tend to be the keepers of knowledge and secrets. They can rule over certain tribes in humanity. Um, they can be they're portrayed in two polar opposites. In the West, they're generally shown ch- as demonic, terrible entities that want to devour and kill people. In the East and in South America, they're depicted as those that try to uplift mankind and give knowledge and give the ability to bring humans to a higher level of of civilization and spirituality. And you kind of see that in The Witcher where the dragons that are depicted aren't inherently evil, but humanity sees them as that and wants to slay them all.
1: Yeah, like the uh, golden dragon knows the future even mm-hmm. and can tell you what's going to happen Again, if we take into consideration that they're trying to make no gray area or no, basically no good. It's either gray or it's completely.
0: They're pushing the black circle over the white one as much as you can. So there's a little slither of white there.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. So could the dragons actually not be so great? Maybe. And then, you know, the Greek word for dragon was D-R-A-K-O-N. So like Drakon which made me think of Draco. You know how they're Mm -hmm. always saying like the Draco reptilians. And I thought that was interesting that D-R-A-K-O-N is where they get dragon from, but it actually just means serpent. Mm -hmm. And then if you take the word even farther back, it just means to see clearly. Did you find that too?
0: Mm -hmm. What the
1: fuck is going on (laughs) with that?
0: But this so is the, the problem. Julie and I spoke before this th- thinking um, I've probably found a lot of stuff I think you found, so I tried to avoid it, but now we're looking at a lot of the notes that's pretty much the same. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great minds think alike, right? They do. But so most ancient depictions of dragons, by the way, are just huge boa constrictors. So yeah, very serpentine. Yeah, very, you know, we didn't get, I think they said, we didn't get the flying, four-legged, fire-breathing dragon until the 1200s.
0: Yes, which ironically supposedly coincided with the digging up of dinosaur bones, which kind of did dinosaur bones. And even the likes of a a griffon, the, the winged eagle lion type of creature. Supposedly that came from the skull of a triceratops because it had the beak, but
1: my fucking yeah, ass. That was probably a real thing.
0: Who, yeah, well, looking at what scripture says, possibly.
1: Yeah, that was they, one of It's like they tinerous. got a petri dish
0: of all their DNA and went, let's make this thing and let's mix mm-hmm. these two things together. Which is ironically what the Greek gods did. When the Greek yes. gods created monsters, generally it was a lesser god breeding with humans and it created all kinds of issues. Or a lesser god breeding with animals.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is
0: just what the fallen ones did in the Bible
1: yeah now we would call them cryptids but they called yes. them by names you know we would just mm-hmm. say oh well that's that's in the cryptid family you know it's a it's just a chupacabra, chupacabra. <laughs> did you just say chupacabra <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a jersey devil or whatever but for them they had names for these things like if you look at ancient egypt there's a reason like the sphinx looks the way that they do and they have human and animal type of beings and Um, We do see a lot of those, of course, in The Witcher, but they they incorporate a lot that have ram or goat horns. And I think that's hearkening back to the devil, in my opinion. And... The last one that I have on my list that's worth noting, I do have a little bit on the Brooks, but it's really just Mm -hmm. another vampire-esque type of shapeshifter creature. Um, But I thought the ghoul was interesting. Did you have some notes on the ghoul?
0: No, but I do know about the ghoul within the, the story and in folklore, so throw it at me. What have you got?
1: All right, so this is what I got, and you can probably expand on it the first accounts of ghouls began just like the jinn pre-islam and they actually aren't the undead as many believe they were the further corrupted evil jinn spirits so jinn are already fucked up and then they fuck them up even more and that's what the ghouls were and they worked straight for the devil pretty much but of course they were shapeshifters that took the form of beautiful women to procreate, but in their real form, they were hooved, pig-faced demons, and they didn't eat the dead either. They desired living human flesh.
0: There you go. Well, that's um. <laughs> think about how much that's changed, though. Like Bram Stoker, Stoker has depicted the ghoul through his through that book as the ghoul is a a mesmerized human being that follows a vampire and is forced to live off insects and lower beings. And in other Strugoi type of stories, ghouls are like the uninitiated vampires are the failures. Like if you're bitten by a vampire and it doesn't take, you become more zombie-esque and you eat just anything. You don't feed off blood. So that's a very different take with the so, Middle Eastern spin on it.
1: But they, they do this though. They take what the pre-islam version of a ghoul is and they make it so ridiculous or unimaginable that you'd never think this thing really existed but it seems like it's just a uh henchman devil spirit that shapeshifts and looks like a hot chick uh so they can have babies in the human realm and they you
0: know
1: But, you know, you better hope that they don't shapeshift right in the middle because they're a hooved pig-faced demon. I think I'd rather smell the fish girl than
0: uh <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> probably need a lot of alcohol.
1: <laughs> right. Oh. If you're you know, done with
0: the monsters, I want to throw at you who I think Merwin actually is.
1: Yeah, go do it.
0: Okay. Because we know Merwin was really the catalyst for everything happening, opening the gateway, letting the creatures in, letting the humans in everything that happened that kind of changed the world and created it she's actually the whore of babylon
1: oh yes absolutely 100 she is a whore so, and from babylon
0: yeah she's so the whore of babylon is from the book of revelation and her full title is in revelation 17 as mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth
1: wow that's exactly the character she plays too and
0: she brings about the abominations of the earth throughout the rest (laughs) of the series
1: and just her little bitchy face (laughs) i almost (laughs) oh my god i was just dying for her to get sorted or knifed or something so i wouldn't have to keep looking at her she just had one of those faces that was like I just want to take your fucking head and smash it into a wall. <laughs> you know the characters that are just overprivileged. They think like the sun shines out of their ass and they know everything. This is that kind of character. And at the end, even after she's been gutted like a fish, she stumbles. Remember me? Yeah, stumbles onto her throne with her crown on. And she's like, worship me. Uh. In her yes, in her last dying breath, she says, yes, "Remember she says, me."
0: Remember me. And that points to the importance of oral-based history and passing down stories orally, because we know books can be rewritten, books can be burnt—the burning mm-hmm. of Alexandria—how um, history has changed on a whim. If it's an oral story, generally it stays pretty much the same over time. And by having her people remember her and tell her story she survives in some way her essence keeps going on through time
1: yeah in more ways than one because i think that the elder blood that they keep talking about the elven elder blood that's straight up referencing these royal bloodlines exactly. that yeah. who can trace their dna all the way back through time i think that's exactly where they're going
0: And this is a little quote that lends me to think that that's the case. It's all about the little things, isn't it? When you think about it, the little traces we leave behind of ourselves, our little tells. Mm -hmm. So she's imprinting herself. And we see that, like, spoilers, if you haven't watched it already, it's been out for like nearly a year and a half already. But we see one of her lesser mages that she tries to get to overcome Baylor in it. He's in the modern times of The Witcher and he's standing there watching people. Mm -hmm. And I think he's potentially looking at one of our most prominent characters in the series.
1: But one of the things that we forgot to mention is the general guy that plays a very significant role later on. Merlin sends him fucking into the obelisk to go search for these new worlds or whatever and he gets fucking trapped in there. He and his soldiers get fucking trapped over there. And I don't know how they survive, but they survive probably because it's outside of space and time. And he's the skull guy. He's the writer.
0: He digs up a, a demonic skull. And the last scene is you see him put that over his head in this realm.
1: Yes, which to me, he's like the riders into the apocalypse where the book of Revelation, the the four horsemen kind of a thing. He's going to so he's one of those figures where you don't know if he's really bad or good, but he was just kind of doing what he was told to do, and then he got fucked over and lost in that other dimension. But it did kind of look to me like they were gonna use him as the riders in on the uh uh in revelation of the apocalypse
0: yeah the full horseman yeah it's almost like he's death
1: yes mm-hmm yeah and i he probably is dead uh getting sent over there like that and you know fucking wasteland um but i did think it's also interesting if we're mentioning like outside of space and time that the se- the first season of the witcher is a split timeline and yes, you don't which really would confuse
0: a lot of people unless they pay attention or, or know the source material.
1: Right. And I think the only reason I made it through and I kind of already knew what was going on is because I did know that. If I was going into it not knowing anything, I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Because all of the scenes with the Witcher are before the scenes with the little girl. Who is Cirilla. And you think that they're happening at the same time. But they're not. And then they kind of meet up at the end. And it's back to this one timeline. But they are playing with your mind a lot. Especially because they waited like fucking two years. Before they put out the Blood Origins (laughs) show. Which is the prequel. And um, if we think about another show. Or show. Another saga of movies that did that would be alien
0: yeah but through prometheus mm-hmm. which i have a real gripe with what he's trying to tell in that story did you he essentially really? yeah because do you know what he said he said that in his story so the that what they originally called was the space jockeys which then evolved into the the tall aliens that create life in the universe jesus in his storyline was one of these aliens that was sent to earth and he said that in one of his press conferences no. and because they killed their jesus which was their messenger to the humans that they found later on they decided to wipe out humanity
1: oh my god you're kidding me
0: no have a look for the um the press conference where he says that it's in an article as well he said that the engineers they created humanity, they found humanity later on, they sent an ambassador, which was named Jesus, which was one of them, who was crucified by the Romans.
1: Wow! Fucking A! Exactly what we've been talking about. They're doing this mm-hmm. with the Witcher too. I already yeah. can see that series going to be like the Jesus of this story or something. She's going to be like the savior character, but I didn't know he said that.
0: Yeah, yep. It, it's... I think he really shot himself in the foot there because once he said that, a lot of hype behind the the movies kind of faded out, and he kinda of had to go back to doing Avatar and stuff like that when he had this big build-up of getting that universe finished off.
1: Wow, because when I watched Prometheus, the beginning and I know we're getting off the subject, but it all <laughs> ties together. It all ties in, people. It does, because they're all telling the same story. When David, which by the way, curious name he's Mm -hmm. asking the guy if you created me who created you and they're like well that's who we're looking for and then we see the blue people the big tall blue people you know and that they're basically saying that they created us the engineers and that they're the ones that were scrawled on cave paintings and i've said for how long have i said drew that these cave paintings and these beings and they're going to say that they're coming back and that they're our saviors.
0: Yeah, they're really going back to this. It's like a a post-paganist revolution at the moment where Christianity is and the West is under an all-time assault and people are going back to these ancient pagan beliefs and and entities and trying to make it out that maybe they were something, which they, they probably were something very real, but they're putting it in the light of a saving force that's going to come and stop all of humanity's ills and save the planet and stop deforestation and all the great, wonderful things.
1: Yeah, and I would just point them to the end of Prometheus where Mm -hmm. they wake that big motherfucker up from his slumber and he rips their heads off. So do you want that, people? (laughs) You want that? Because that's what they're going to do. They won't give a shit about you.
0: This way, you want to be when Jesus comes back? (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah if if i'm gonna say something that goes along with the witcher is that just like in prometheus and alien covenant they're making the lesser evil except the good yeah the good thing and the bigger evil is what you have to fight against, but you don't have oh to my become. God. What? I
0: just, I just visualized it. When you've got the Venn diagram of good and evil, black and white, and the grays, the small bit in the middle. Mm-hmm. If you're moving the black over the white, what is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of an eclipse.
1: Fuck off.
0: So the sun, like the light, is being extinguished by darkness.
1: Oh my god. We just solved the world's problems in one podcast episode. Aren't you proud of yourself?
0: I'm really pat on the back. Well done.
1: Yes. Well done. <laughs> because you know what? In the first season of The Witcher, they talk about bringing about Lilith. And they're looking for girls who were born under the eclipse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the black sun. <laughs> So yeah, I mean they're this is what they're doing. This is I mean, there are so many Garden of Eden type scenes in the first season that it's just like over fucking whelming.
0: It is oversaturated with it. And it's like you said, it's almost like they're trying to desensitize people to things by throwing it in your face so often that it becomes really great that if you try to talk about it, you're just talking about a TV show that was on that series. You're nuts.
1: Yeah, You're getting something yeah. from
0: TV, but no, it's been around for hundreds of thousands of years.
1: In the so, did, do you remember anything from the first season?
0: Um, it was really hard to, even having read some of the books and played the games, it was hard to get into because of that timeline shift. Yeah, you see in it, but um, yeah, it was it was pretty good with the source material. Um, I think Blood Origins has a lot more in it than what The Witcher it
1: does. does the second season is has almost nothing in it
0: you have to watch blood origins in setting it up because it's Mm -hmm. going to just put things in perspective
1: yeah like i said they, they reference the apple a lot they reference lilith a lot garden of eden type of scenery a lot in the first season and one of the things that you had mentioned is they were uh looking for the bloodline descendants with like the violet eyes and yennefer one of the mages that we meet in the first season does have purple violet eyes and she is the only character with purple eyes and uh she has a hunchback at first i would you know i was like if they don't get this hunchback off of her i can't finish this (laughs) season because she was horrendous looking she had the twisted up face and a big old hunchback and um If we're talking about genetic mutations, she said the reason she was cursed with the twisted spine is because she had elven blood.
0: Yes. And that's what you have to think about. If you're going off, and this is a tangent of like mainstream science, humanity has an unbelievably high number of genetic mutations and genetic issues that you don't see in wildlife in the rest of the animal kingdom. And it really suggests that our DNA has been tampered with to some degree. That's why people jump on board with the outside intervention alien hypothesis. But it could be spiritual as well. If our DNA has been corrupted Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, there's no wonder we have all these genetic abnormalities where kids are born with spina bifida and all these horrible afflictions.
1: Now, let's take it one step further just based on that spina bifida. If the Shriners Hospital is a bunch of masons and they're selling this spina bifidia stuff that they're pulling out of these kids, don't you think that they're using... that? It's almost like they need kids to be born like this so they can pull this sack off of them and sell it on the black market or use it for rituals and like do all this stuff with it.
0: Yeah, it's almost like if all these afflictions and mutations because humanity's bread was something we shouldn't have that, say, has an otherworldly background... If you're targeting these kids with these afflictions and you're removing that DNA, are you trying to get a perfected sample of it so you can recreate the giants?
1: And it's just like you said with the mutations, this is all black magic alchemy stuff. And it goes back to our DNA 100%. There's something in our genetic code that they're tampering with and they're trying just like the mages in the witcher they're not magical without practicing chaos they're nothing more than conduits and either you are a conduit or you're not but they're looking for these people who are born as conduits it's not that they even know that they are but either you are or you're not and if you are a conduit you can be selected like in the witcher to use chaos for their bidding not not what for what you want to do for what they need you to do
0: yes it's almost like they're looking for the special source and it's so diluted they're trying to find the best little receivers the best antennas that can tap into it so they can use it like we know that cloning exists they cloned a goddamn sheep and (laughs) god knows what else what are they cloning with specific bloodlines that say they may be found in the past three years with pcr testing at a Mm -hmm. global level yeah right three and me all those types of things who are they targeting and who are they finding
1: right a lot of gingers i'm sure
0: probably and just to go back (laughs) this isn't the only fantasy setting where there's people with violet eyes the Targaryens and Game of Thrones in the book are depicted with violet eyes. Why? They they didn't have do that in the show, magic. though. They didn't, no. They have chaos blood magic in their veins. That's what allows them to tame the dragons. And they also have white hair, just like the witches.
1: Wow. So this tells me all
0: these little things they are drip-feeding into all these stories and tales, things that are popular culture now, are harkening back to what was probably a very real bloodline
1: yeah and the people who are writing this stuff by the way the reason they probably want to portray becoming a little less evil as being better than the big evil is because they're tapped into some shit. that's how they're able to you know a lot of people will write in a vacuum or they'll like have a download quote unquote of all Mm -hmm. these ideas and they'll oh yeah and it just came to me well where do you think that's coming from you know Either you know about some shit. Like Tolkien. He he probably knew about some shit. I think I've read stories about where he. F- discovered this library of. Forbidden textbooks or something. And put all this thing. But a lot of people are kind of channeling. Into this info. And you see an archetype. Being repeated. So. I mean. Even when they go to this school. Eratusa. In the Witcher. She's demonstrating how. When you use chaos. You may want your stone to lift. But you have to pay a price for that. So she's lifting the stone. With one hand. And in the other hand. She's holding some daisies. And as the stone lifts. The daisies die. And she's showing you can't summon something from nothing. And isn't that the fucking truth. You know. There able to practice these black magic rituals with a price you always have to sacrifice something in return
0: yeah and this this reminds me i was having a conversation with a gentleman recently about architecture in victoria my state of australia it's very masonic in a lot of the capital cities so much that our war memorials are portrayed in a sacred geometry way and our theory is that they're actually harvesting the energy from the fallen soldiers who have died. That's the sacrifice. And they're using that energy for their own purposes.
1: Oh, fuck off. Really? So it
0: would be the same in America. If you look at, like, the Tomb of the Unnamed Soldier in the States, a lot of those, there's a lot of, like, DC, a lot of mm-hmm. Greco-Roman, a lot of Egyptian architecture. If those are on specific sites near... um cemeteries of fallen soldiers, people who have been sacrificed in the name of something, that's Ooh. a pretty big energy conduit. Wow. And maybe it's starting to collapse now because the majority of the Western world hasn't had a big-scale war in a long time. So their power is probably diminishing now and they're setting up for something so they can attain that power again.
1: Well, all the corpses of the COVID victims didn't mm-hmm. suffice. You know what I'm oh. saying?
0: Yeah, yep.
1: That's screwed up. That's probably topping it up a little bit. Yeah. They have to give you this problem so they can, one, offer you a solution, and two, they are sucking this energy off, you know? And I I do think that Aretuza in The Witcher was built on top of this cave full of elf skulls. So it's just like you were saying. They... Built this conduit place on top of all the mutilated dead corpses of the elves, and Yennefer's down there one day, and she's like, "What are all these skulls? Dead people?" And the guy's like, <laughs> "Yeah, there, they're <laughs> <laughs> they're dead elves." And she said, "Oh, I've never heard about that." And it's like, "Well, duh, you Hunchback. They basically took the elves." history and rewrote everything and that's why the demon comes to yaskir in blood origins and was like you need to bring like the truth back and mm-hmm. tell people what's really going on and even do you remember when she turned some of those little girls into eels and pushed them into the pool because they were just conduits for chaos to power up the the building itself it just goes along with those same archetypes in a lot of movies like Eyes Wide Shut, where you think you're going to join the club, but they just need you to serve them.
0: Yeah, you and will never really a... be
1: a part of it, the club.
0: You serve them as a foot soldier or you serve them as a battery.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And we see that, like, I've got to talk about this now because it's on the tip of my tongue. I've got to talk about it. So, Jekyll Island in the States, where they developed the um, Federal Reserve. Rockefeller House is built on Indian Mound, where there was a sacrificial altar, where the Indians of that place sacrificed children on it. And that was the room in which they actually sat down with all the bankers and developed what the American Federal Reserve would be. And here's the kicker. Those Those Indians are depicted as Eurasian. Tall, six to eight foot tall people with recurve bows. So they are very Middle Eastern Babylonian in appearance. And they were wiped out.
1: Are you fucking kidding?
0: No. That's the Indian mound. Yep. His house, his little tiny house, his little getaway place, the Rockefellers built it on top of Indian Mound on Jekyll Island. And the lounge room, which they sat in and they developed all the plans for the banking system of the world that everyone's caught into and stuck in there was created there. Think about the energy of that, the energy of child sacrifices on that mound, wiping out the Indians who had it in the first place, Indians air quotes, and then they developed something like an international banking cartel.
1: Wow. I didn't fucking know that. So this is a ritualistic place. This is a sacred place.
0: I think all um, all of these places where prominent people holiday or own places has some kind of reverence. Like you said, it's all about power and harvesting energy in some kind of way, like chaos magic, like we're seeing the Witcher. Every one of these significant places has something dark and shady with it. Like anyone has gone on a ghost tour to an asylum or to an old prison, those are terrible places and they give off bad energy. You feel it, Mm -hmm. right? So a place that has been a sacrificial altar, that's going to resonate for a long time
1: one of my favorite quotes from a horror movie i love which is called uh the haunting in connecticut was oh, yeah i love that one do you remember when the priest says there's a reason they use iron bars in prisons it's not to contain the body but whatever evil lurks within
0: iron is the bane of demons
1: so when you're going into these abandoned asylums and these abandoned prisons and that's no shit there there is some serious dark energy in these places that's why i think there's a small opening where you can look through the veil at some of these locations the veil is a lot thinner there and i've told you before that i don't necessarily know if we're seeing the appearance of our dead loved ones or if it's like demons masquerading as like your dead loved ones or dopplers yes so even if you go to one of these asylums and i'm sure they are experiencing paranormal activity but what exactly can we define paranormal activity as
0: exactly and if if prisons and asylums are places where the worst people in society were, the mentally ill, Well, my theory is a lot of the mentally ill are actually possessed by things or have something inside them. So when they died as the thing that was inside them become trapped, serial killers, murderers, rapists, all these horrible people, if they die in prison, was it the things that were influencing them and making them evil trapped there? Mm-hmm. Because we see the complete opposite. When someone dies in a hospital, the tradition is the nurse who is in the room will open the window so the soul can leave the room. Mm-hmm. because they don't want to trap the good spirit in there or the soul yeah. so it's the opposite effect like I like said the iron bars it's trapping the dark entities that were within these people within these places it's not necessarily them it's the entity that was behind what they did
1: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them were on death row. You have to think they've lived like 20 plus years in this place and died there. Electric chairs, lethal injection. Their spirit is probably still floating around in that place. The spirit that was inhabiting them is Mm -hmm. probably still floating around in that place. Because I have a morbid sense of curiosity and I would watch documentaries of hospice nurses and just the way that they describe, for example, my mom or my grandma or someone who lived a very normal life and were a good person, they always say, you know, you smell roses or something when that person passes, or there's just a warmth that comes in the room. or It's always a very beautiful experience when, when someone passes away. But when you go into an abandoned prison or somewhere, an asylum, you feel gross just walking in like, what happened here? You get that ick on Mm -hmm. you. And so these are things that are not tangible. You can't hold it. You can't visually see it sometimes, but you know it's real. That's why I always explain to people when we're talking about Netflix trying to eclipse, as you would say, the good and bring all this well you can be a little bit evil or you can welcome some evil spirits in as long as you're not going totally over to the dark side it's like no fuck you this is bad energy what you're putting out
0: yeah it's a it's almost like it's setting up a you know here's the mark but it's okay it's only like a little mark it's not like a bad mark
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> just take just some a black, you, and yeah another thing that i if We're talking about like the Horror of Babylon as well with these mages. If they attend Eratusa to learn how to manipulate chaos, before they leave, they see that guy who fixes everything on them. So they're physical specimens and perfect in every way. So they fix her hunchback and her mangled up face, but they remove the uterus and the ovaries. You have Mm -hmm. to pay something in order to gain something. So they're basically making all these whores of Babylon. But in order to do that, they have to remove the uterus and the fucking ovaries. And it's so dark and dirty and gross to watch that scene. And all she does for the next, like, six episodes is try to get this ability to have children back. But they're... There is a reason, like Geralt said, that they make witchers and mages to where they can't reproduce because they've basically used evil magic in order to be a conduit and, yeah, and thank the, and the, God they and the can't idea, have kids.
0: That's and the idea of creating kids, it's it's a it's a good thing, right? It's it's, it's you're divine bringing life into from God. Yes, exactly. It's a gift from God that you're able actually able to do it. And it's, it's really actually quite concerning that today that there's, there's an unofficial push for girls who suffer from painful periods to get a hysterectomy. If it's too painful, just get a hysterectomy. It's fine. You know, get any kids.
1: That's a very good point. They are pushing that a lot. You know, just get a hysterectomy or if you have PCOS... They want to give you uh, treatments that pretty much make it to where you can't have kids.
0: Yeah, even the idea of birth control. It's like statistics are pretty staggering now. Long-term use of birth control absolutely stuffs a woman's cycle to the point where it's nearly impossible to have a kid. It's possible, but very hard.
1: You know what else keeps you from being able to have kids? Um, Chemotherapy. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're pushing a lot of chemotherapeutic drugs on us that we don't realize are chemotherapeutic, like the turkey basters. Mm -hmm. They're chemotherapeutic. And um, I've even had some people in my family, I won't say who they are, you know, after they got basted, their hair started coming in curly. And, you know, a lot of people who undergo chemo for, breast cancer or any other type of cancers you'll notice that they'll lose their hair but it'll come back like a weird texture like curly or coarse or wiry and i think it's it's so obvious to me that these turkey basters are altering some of our genetic makeup and um you might think this is interesting as well i worked with someone whose husband had to go through chemo And before he did the treatment, they made him donate some of his baby gravy and freeze it because they said he, if she was to get pregnant by him after his chemo treatments, the baby would be born all disfigured and possibly without limbs or have mental retardation or something like that.
0: Yeah, well, even chemo in itself is like fighting fire with fire, right? It's a horrible slash and burn approach to treating cancer where sure it works a lot of the time but it absolutely destroys your body and your immune system mm-hmm. it's like fighting mm-hmm. evil with a lesser evil a lot yes. of modern medicine is that way as well so
1: it's everywhere it's all over and how many of the foods that we eat or how many of the uh experimental treatments have we taken that gives us cancer and childhood cancer is you know, off the charts compared to where it used to be. and
0: Oh, here we go all the way back to where we started, the symbolism of wheat. Wheat is something (laughs) humans are not supposed to eat. Essentially, it's a selectively bred, air quote, selectively bred grass, and that's not a a play on words, a bred grass, right, that when you eat it, the carbs, if you're not burning it off and doing the right things and you're eating too much of it, your body turns it into sugar. What does cancer absolutely feed off? Sugar. What is mm. the worst thing a human can have? Sugar, and that's been a staple of the human diet for centuries now.
1: They, and they've like, included it's almost like in, that was on purpose. They've included it into what? <laughs> True.
0: Mm-hmm. In the pyramid, right? Yeah, in the food <laughs> pyramid, and we saw the wheat in the pyramid of the symbol.
1: Wow! In the oh my god, that's fucking wild.
0: And it takes up the biggest component, too. Like, it has carbs as being the biggest part. Not the mo- It's not the most nutritious by any means, but it's the most calorie-dense food. Not the best calories. It should be predominantly meat and vegetables, like leafy greens and things yeah. like
1: that. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the episode that I did. It was a solo episode on, um, like, plagues and epidemics. But a lot of the people from the old times when like the bubonic plague or the Justinian plague broke out, there was reported accounts of them seeing beings cloaked and robed beings spraying stuff on the wheat.
0: Yes. Going like that across the wheat. Yeah. Yes. And ironically, there's a, I can't recall the name of it. It's a mold that grows on wheat that made people go schizophrenic.
1: Wow.
0: And it happened during the plague and, and all those times in Europe. But you look at the way the human body has changed from when we started cultivating crops of, like, corn and wheat. We had really strong jaws, really big teeth, and now we've Mm -hmm. got little tiny subtle jaws, and our teeth rot all the time. Whereas if you don't eat wheat or sugar, you have strong teeth.
1: Yeah, there was a conspiracy theory guy who said... uh there was a big push kind of in the 90s like don't eat wonder bread anymore no white bread no white bread eat wheat or you know he said even if you can't afford like a nicer version of bread that you should just eat plain old regular bleach fucking white bread because it's better for you than eating fucking wheat bread
0: yeah, I think the idea is avoid it as much as you can. Like, yes, if you, that's
1: the idea. Like, but if yeah, you can't, if
0: you can't. It's because it's it's so easy. You could feed the masses with it, and that's what we saw. The whole reason behind um, Merwin sending people into these other realms it was to tame savage lands and bring back food because their wheat shortages were so small. They had well, they, they had none
1: yeah and what else do we know about that time would have been not in the witcher but like bread and circuses
0: yes exactly (laughs) killing you with something and making you watch something that warps your mind at the same time right
1: so i think that we did a fantastic job on this i mean did you have any other notes because i pretty much have like the same things that we've been talking about you know uh Black magic, sex magic, uh sacrifices, uh
0: black goo, horror babylon. Gool, I think we covered
1: it. Obelisks. Uh let's see what else do I have. Oh, in the second season, much like in Jordan peele's movie Nope, they use a lot of owls to be conduits. Um to communicate messages and stuff like that. And we see that they kind of incorporate in today's time, kind of like with the movie, uh, the fourth kind that Mm -hmm. owls are somehow related to extraterrestrials. And um, I think that they're Illuminati, all the owls on the dollar bill and stuff like that. They, they do use these ancient symbols to represent the deception so that's why they have it on the dollar bill and in connection with uh magic and aliens is because it's all the same thing
0: yeah and and what what do you call a group of ours a court of ours and courts <laughs> hand down decisions on what the society does
1: right fuckers <laughs> <laughs> did you watch that movie too by the way the fourth kind i did yeah man they had me going i thought that shit was extra real
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's that was like the time where the found footage ones were coming out and they got really good with some of them
1: yeah that was one of them i was like oh this has to be real they even had like a fake actress playing the quote unquote real psychiatrist and then the yes. split milia jovovich scenes uh-huh. i was like oh this is so fucking real <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i alaska everyone disappears from there it's totally real
1: yeah there's a lot of weird shit going on with alaska though
0: there is definitely
1: all right drew you came you saw you smashed It's been absolutely fantastic, but I know you got a lot of new stuff going on with your own podcast. Can you tell the listeners what's going on with your Missing the Point podcast?
0: Yeah, so I'm changing things up a little bit. I'm still doing my long-form conversations with people that I find really interesting and have information that the world needs to hear, but at the same time, I'm kind of deep diving on all the research that I've done in in my whole life as a, a truther, air quotes, Um, And I'm really going down the rabbit hole of Australian cryptids and mythology around our First Nations. So putting out little bite-sized snippets of um, like the Bunyip and Australian Tasmanian blob. Yeah, Mm -hmm. anything that's uniquely Australian, I'm putting out little like 15 to 20-minute episodes and and the listeners seem to like it. It's got some of the biggest downloads I've done so far, so I'll keep doing Mm -hmm.
1: it. Okay, do you have a Nessie?
0: Uh, That would be what our bunyip would be. It can be either described as two types. It's either a furry type of water creature, or it can be like a, a serpentine plesiosaur type of creature, depending on what part of Australia.
1: The bunyip research that I did kind of made me imagine like a black panther kind of thing with like a big, huge head that would like just eat you up. But then I heard your episode and I was like, maybe I was maybe I'm remembering the wrong thing.
0: Maybe yours was so we've got the bunion, which is our water one, and then we've got like the yaoi, um, all sorts of things. It's From, a crazy yeah, big country. Crazy.
1: I would love to like see an episode where you interview like an aboriginal person and just be like, Have you ever seen one of these?
0: Uh I've <laughs> I've got connections within mobs, but they are very guarded. People as to what they, wow. they put out wow. into the world. I've I've been told stories firsthand, but nothing they would want to have recorded and put out.
1: <laughs> Maybe you can just secretly, can I take you out for <laughs> coffee and put a little microphone on a <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the bunyip. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but no, yeah, I think it's great. I love the cryptid episodes. I love doing the breakdowns. Um, you're a big movie person like I am. I could just sit and do this all day. So we'll have to, I know we have something in mind, but we won't disclose that. <laughs> the listeners will just have to wait and see. Um, but thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And I hope everyone goes and checks out your Missing the Point podcast. And okay. to all the listeners... Thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next one. It's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.